You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's just pray before we get into the Word this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege that we have to speak your Word this morning. I thank you that your Word is already anointed. Jesus said your words are spirit and they are life. And so, Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for the anointing that rests upon my life to communicate your Word. And, Father, I thank you for the anointing that is present on each and every person in here today to hear and receive your Word. And so, Father, I thank you as we hear and we receive, faith will arise in our hearts. The Holy Ghost will speak to us. And, Father, I thank you that our lives will be changed. And most importantly, Father, we'll not just be hearers of the Word, but we'll be doers of it as well. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you came in today and did not receive a handout and you'd like to receive one, we'll get one to you if you need a pen and want to write some notes down, just hold your hand up. We have those available. This is week number four and the conclusion of our series called Daniel, A Spirit of Excellence. And so what we've been doing is we've been uh, looking at the life of Daniel and what caused God or facilitated God being able to move in such a dramatic way in Daniel's life in the Bible. And so I want to just remind us of some things that we've talked about before in previous weeks. So look up on the screen with me and get this. God created you for success. Thank you for that overwhelming, enthusiastic response. God created you for success. Say this, say, I am created to be a success. All right, and then also each of us were made for more. Say this, say I was made for more. Say this, I will never exhaust God's ability in my life. There will always be more because he's an abundant God. Amen. So what I want us to see is, is that as good as your life is, and I hope that it is good, if it is good, it can always get better. So I love the fact that, you know, throughout eternity, as you and I step over, you know, either we go home to be with the Lord or Jesus returns, we will never, ever throughout eternity exhaust the goodness of God. You know, I'm reminded in Ephesians chapter 2 where it says that, uh, that in the ages to come, God will reveal to us his goodness. So we're going to see God's goodness throughout eternity. Amen. And so let's look at our foundation scripture found in the sixth chapter of the book of Daniel. It's there on your notes. It says this, then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps or leaders, the other governmental leaders in, in uh, Babylon at the time. And he says, because why? What, what caused Daniel to distinguish himself. It was because an excellent spirit was in him and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So Daniel had something working on the inside of him which facilitated 
the king to recognize him and then also allowed Daniel to, ex to extinguish, not extinguish, distinguish himself above everybody else, all of his other peers. And so this is under the old covenant. How much more under the new and better covenant that you and I live under as born-again believers should we and can we distinguish ourselves above our peers, not because of anything that we are, but because of the excellent spirit that is in us. And so we've been learning throughout this series how to allow that excellent spirit to flow up and out of us. Let's define excellence. Uh, we've said this before, but excellence means this, and this is consistent in good character, attitude, quality, and standards. Okay? Consistent in good character, attitude, quality, and standards. Okay? Now, we said this in our previous points. A spirit of excellence is found in our identity. So, you, uh, you're, an excellent spirit is an outworking of who you are in Christ. Okay? So, when you know who you are, you're able to walk in a spirit of excellence. We said this, that a spirit of excellence does not compromise. And we said the opposite of compromise is conviction. So when you find out something from God's word and it gets down in your heart, it becomes a conviction that you hold fast to, okay? And you refuse to compromise based on the convictions that God places in your heart through and by his word. And then last week we said this, that a spirit of excellence is a spirit of humility. Say this, say, I am humble and I'm proud of it. No, I'm just kidding. Don't say that. But a spirit of excellence is a spirit of humility. And we found out that if we want to uh, enjoy promotion, promotion will always follow humility. We saw some examples of that from the word of God. And so today, I want to cover something, and, and I'm going to say this, all right? I'm not apologizing for it at all, but today, I'm just preparing myself to not hear a bunch of amens and noise and stuff like that. It might get a little quiet while we're talking about some of these things, because what we're going to talk about causes you to look inward a little bit. So I'm okay with that, all right? Are you still here? All right, we haven't started talking about it yet. You can call for something now, all right? So here we go. Let's talk about this, and this is the last area, and that is this. A spirit of excellence walks in integrity. Write that down, please. A spirit of excellence walks in integrity. And this is very, very important. And uh, I will just, I'll go ahead and lay this out there that if you're going to be a person of excellence that walks in integrity, please understand this up front. You're going to be going opposite of the way the most of the world functions. Okay? So just understand that. All right, so let's look at what the definition of integrity is. Integrity means this, the state, and I, I thought this was odd, the state of being whole, entire, or undiminished. Okay, we often think integrity is where I tell the truth. Well, that's part of it, but what you have to understand is, using that as an example, if that is part of integrity, when I tell the truth, it causes me to be whole. You know, when you live in truth, 
It allows you to be able to lay your head on your pillow at night knowing that you are living in truth. Okay, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right. So, <laughs> all right, so here's where we're going to get down to the brass tacks of this. You know I am super, super practical. I try and be as practical as I can when, when I'm ministering the Word because I want you and me to be able to apply it to our lives. So how do I walk in integrity? Well, the, the first thing you need to understand, and this isn't a point, but the first thing you need to understand is we begin the walk of integrity in small everyday things, okay? Small things make a big difference. You know, I love uh, uh, books on, uh, of course, uh, leadership and that type of thing. And uh, there have been a lot of books that have come out in the last few years that talk about habits. And, and you know, really what makes a difference in somebody are the small habits that we incorporate into our lives. But it's the small everyday things that are really going to make a difference in your life, okay? So let's get into this. Here's number one. Integrity is a decision to have your life aligned with the Word of God. Integrity is a decision to have your life aligned with the Word of God. It's rooted in a decision. Now, I've used this illustration before, but it, it's good and it bears repetition. Uh, my very first car, way back when, was a 1973 Volkswagen Super Beetle. Now, for you young folks, you, don't real, you, you have Volkswagens today, but they're not real Volkswagens. They're fake Volkswagens. Real Volkswagens were the Beetle, okay? Anybody remember the Volkswagen Thing? That's what it was called, a Thing, okay? You don't remember that? It was a, it was a model of VW back in the early 70s. Uh, you know, and then they had the Volkswagen van, you know, and then the, they had a couple of other models too. But my Volkswagen, my Super Beetle, was a great car. I, I drove the fool out of that car. And uh, it was so simple, I could maintain it and everything. But there was something that went wrong on my car one time, and that is the front end got out of alignment. Now, our cars these days with power steering and all of that do get out of alignment, but you don't experience what you used to experience in an old car like that when your front end got out of alignment. What happened is, if, you were, if your front end was out of alignment, if you picked up any speed going down the road, does anybody remember what would happen? Yeah, and your steering wheel would start shimmying and shaking. And you'd be going down the road like this, okay? Okay, so all because your front end got out of alignment, it would cause things to rattle that didn't normally rattle. It would cause things to shake that didn't normally shake. And you could break some stuff. You could cause damage to your car if you drove for a long time. Not only would your tires wear out unevenly and all that kind of stuff, but stuff because of all that vibration and everything could start falling off and falling apart. So it was not a good thing to, for you to allow your front end to get out of alignment. Well, how many of you know if your life is not aligned with the Word of God, if your life gets out of alignment with God's Word, stuff will begin to shake, stuff will begin to rattle, and stuff will begin to break and fall apart. 
So you need to keep your life aligned with the Word of God. So the first thing that you do when you make the decision, I'm going to live a life of a spirit of excellence, but I'm going to live a life of integrity, is that I have to make the decision. If this book says it, I'm going to orient my life to this book. We've got to get away from trying to make the book fit our life. Okay? So what we, you know, people have throughout the centuries tried to change what was written in the Bible to fit their life. Well, you might mess with some words and stuff, but God doesn't change. Okay? So he is always the same. So you are better off aligning your life with the Word of God, and that's the first step to getting on the road to integrity. Here's the second thing. Write this down, please. Integrity is something, and I alluded to this earlier, but something you must practice every day. Say practice. practice. Integrity is something you must practice every day. Now, can I say this to you? You do not get a day off from integrity. You can't live a life of integrity Monday through Friday and then Saturday and Sunday just kind of let your hair hang down and, and let come what may and I, you know, I get a couple days off here. No, living a life of integrity is a 24-7, 365 occupation. It's something that you have to do and you do it every day. Now, I put parenthetically on there, this is not human nature. See, we want to live, I'm, I'm not including y'all, let me, let me rephrase that. A lot of people want to live a life of integrity while everybody's watching. But a real life of integrity is what do you do when nobody's looking? Because here's why, God is looking all the time. So what is your behavior like? What, it, what are your attitudes like when nobody's watching you? Do you, are you still consistent when nobody's looking because this is an everyday thing that we have to practice? Now, I use that word practice on purpose because what we need to understand is that what you practice on a long-term basis will become part of who you are, okay? And it takes practice. You know, if you're going to be a professional athlete or you know, whatever the sport might be, you are not going to make up your mind one day, I'm going to go be a professional golfer and you go to the golf course and start hitting golf balls and expect to play like Tiger Woods plays, okay? Tiger Woods has practiced, and all those other PGA professionals, they practice every day. What's interesting is what you don't know when you watch a tournament on TV they go out and they play 18 holes of golf in four hours. And if they are struggling in an area, before they go home or back to the hotel or whatever, very often they will go to the driving range and hit another 500 golf balls. Why? Because they're trying to practice and figure out what they need to tweak in order to be able to play better the next day. So a life of integrity, living a life of excellence and integrity is something you are going to have to practice every day. And listen, can I say this to you? There are times when, and I'm sure it's true with other sports, but those golfers 
All their buddies are going to do something fun somewhere else, but they got to go work. You're going to have to do some things sometimes when everybody else is wanting to do something else, you got to go practice. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. Now, here's where we start getting into the brass tacks of all of this, all right? Here's number three, okay? Now that we're learning how to, how do I walk in integrity? Number three, don't give your word unless you plan to keep it. Don't give your word unless you intend to keep it. And can I say this to you? Um, unfortunately, Christians are just as bad as worldly people at this. We don't mean to be, but we are. And we got to fix it. If there's anything anybody ought to be able to look to a born-again believer for is this. We say what we mean, we mean what we say, and we will do what we say we will do. Okay, so don't give your word unless you intend to keep it. Now, let's look at some verses to back this up. Psalm 15, verse 4. I'm going to read it from the New Living first. It says, those, and, and the question is, in this psalm, David wrote and he said, Lord, who can ascend to your holy hill? Who can dwell in your presence? And he asked some other questions. And then the Lord, through David, answered his own questions and said this, those who, among other things, keep their promises even when it hurts. I told you it was going to get a little tight, okay? Because there are going to be some times when you extend your word to somebody and circumstances change and it might cost you something to keep your word and fulfill your word. Okay? So the Bible says that a person who wants to live and walk with God and dwell in his presence is somebody who will follow through with their commitments even when it will cost you something. Okay? All right, the Message Bible says this, keep your word even when it costs you. Okay? What do I mean by that? Let's just use something real simple. Let's say you make a commitment to go someplace with somebody and the time comes for you to go and you really don't feel like going, okay? Well, guess what? You gave your word. Now, you might be able to call them and say, hey, you know, if you have that level of relationship, but really what you need to do is you need to follow through with your commitment just to discipline yourself to follow through with your commitment. I don't feel like going, Pastor. You didn't think about that when you made that commitment. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right. That's why Jesus said this. I want, I want to show you a verse, and you might have read this and not really understand what Jesus was saying. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 and 37 in the Message Bible. Jesus speaking. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said this, don't say anything you don't mean. Wow, there's a whole lot of us that wouldn't have a whole lot to say. Just say yes and no, when you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. You, the, the, the traditional King James says this, 
Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Everything else proceeds from evil. Now, what Jesus was saying, he wasn't saying that, that you can't have a conversation with somebody and if somebody says, your hair looks nice today, yes. <laughs> That's not what he's saying, okay? But he's, what he's really trying to teach us is this. Think about what you're saying before you say it and if you have to, limit what you say to either yes or no and just don't ramble on. Okay, all right, so here's, here's the bottom line of this, why this is so important. If you have no respect for your own word and keeping it, you will always have a difficult time believing God's word and expecting him to keep his word. I'm gonna say that again because that's kind of good. If you have no respect for your own word and following through and keeping your own word, then you will always have a difficult time believing in the integrity of what God says and that he will follow through with what he says. Because I will say this to you, if God says it, there is no backing away from it, there's no changing it, and it will come to pass. Okay? All right, here's number four. Place a high value on the truth. A person of integrity places a high value on the truth. I didn't say your truth, I said the truth, because everybody has their truth today. Well, that's just my truth, Pastor. No, we're not talking about your truth, we're talking about the truth. What is the truth? Because there's only two things. There is either a lie or there is the truth, okay? So place a high value on the truth truth. Now, this especially is going to fly in the face of culture today because there's so much gray, gray area. You know, everything's not quite as black and white as it used to be as far as cut and dry, okay? No, there's a whole lot of gray, and so we can fudge a little bit here, and we can modify this a little bit over here. No, you have to cling to the truth. Matter of fact, look at what Proverbs 13, 5 says this, the righteous hate. Say, everybody say hate. hate. The righteous hate what is false. And I think today, the righteous have kind of forgotten that. That we're supposed to hate lies. Okay? Why, why, why did God say that? Why are we supposed to hate lies? Well, Jesus gave us a little bit of insight into that. He, he pointed his finger at some religious folks one day, and he said, you're of your father, the devil, who is the father of, and there is no truth in him. So God wants there to be a clear identifying factor that separates you from the devil. Now, Jesus is the best example of this. Did you know Jesus didn't tell one little white lie? Not one. None. He told the truth every single time. Okay? And we're going to have to get to the place where we hate lies. But the wicked make themselves a stench and bring shame on themselves. Here's what 
Solomon is saying. The righteous hate lies, but the liar make themselves stink and bring shame on themselves. Um, if you're a person of integrity, you'll have this thing on the inside of you that you cannot stand lies. Okay, now I'm going to say something to you, and I don't mean any harm with this, but it, it's, it's reality, okay? You need to weigh what we hear in media, social media, and our culture and weigh it against truth or lie. Because there's a lot that we call truth which is not truth. Okay, what, it, what we're going to have to do is love truth. Lies break down relationships because it erodes and destroys trust and confidence. Love the truth, seek after the truth. Be a person of truth. Can, can I give you a real, real example? Okay. Um, hey, you going to church this morning? No, I don't think so because uh, I, got, I got something else I want to do and, and, and I have to do. And, and, and so why don't you just say, no, I'm not going. Why aren't you going? I don't want to. Why? Because that's the truth. I'd rather you look me in the eye and say, Pastor, I didn't come to church Sunday because I didn't want to than to give me a whole shopping list of excuses as to why you didn't come. I'm just being real, okay? Well, you know, I, I, I called in sick today to work because I just really needed a day off. No, what you really wanted was to keep your rear end at home but get paid for it. That's the truth. I can tell that just thrilled you to no end. Okay. <laughs> All right. Seek after the truth. Love the truth. Okay? And reject lies. Don't believe lies. Push for the truth. Pursue after truth. Now, if that wasn't enough, here's number five. Ready? Do not be greedy. I'm not greedy, Pastor. Surely you're not talking to me. We'll see. Proverbs 15, verse 27 in the New Living says this, Greed brings grief to the whole family, but those who hate bribes will live. There is, according to this, one of the biggest things that will tear a family up is greed. You know how I know that? Let a patriarch or matriarch of the family pass away and leave an, a will that's vague. You'll find out who's greedy and who's not, and I guarantee you it'll break up that family. I know of family members that have not spoken in years because they did not get what they thought they should have gotten in an inheritance. I know that's none of y'all, Okay. But it's true. You've probably heard about it happening too. I thought mama left me the house. And I didn't get nothing. 
Mama should have left me the house. I mean, you know, because I'm the one that cut the grass all the time. <laughs> no, you're just greedy. Okay? Here's another area of this same thing, Proverbs 13, 11. And I like the way the new living is just kind of in your face. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. Um, now, I've talked about this before. I'm not a fan of the lottery. However, <laughs> if you do play and you win, don't forget to tithe, all right? That's all I'm saying, but, and we'll pray for your forgiveness after you tithe. But no, here's the thing. There are documentaries on television that have shown people that have won an extravagant amount of money playing the lottery absolutely destroyed their lives because of it. You know why? Because it's hard to take poverty out of a rich person. What does that mean? That means if you had a poverty mentality before you come into a lot of money, you're going to jack your life up and yourself up. You're just going to have a lot of money and be able to do it. <laughs> Somebody says, I came to church to learn about Jesus. Hallelujah. I didn't come to learn about this kind of stuff. Well, guess what? This is how Jesus lived. And if you're going to live like Jesus, you're going to have to get rid of greed and make sure it's not a part of your life. Can I just say this to you? If you're, if you're approached with a get-rich-quick thing, just follow this rule. If it seems too good to be true, it usually is. Anybody ever encountered that before? Okay? All right? So, listen, don't be greedy. Here's, what, um, here's another aspect of this. If you're in business, you'll understand this. Do not go for an unfair edge in your business dealings. But pastor, I need to make a profit. Yeah, making a profit's fine. But when you go at it by taking advantage of other people, that's wrong. You give value for what is being paid for by the other person. I heard this story, and I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a good story nonetheless. And that is this, a builder... Um, construction guy that had his own construction company was really suffering. And I think I heard this story about the time that the recession was taking place in 2007 and 2008. So it might've been true. And so there was there, this builder was really struggling, having a hard time making ends meet. And uh, so there was a man who was quite wealthy that uh, decided he was going to build a house and he hired this construction man to build the house for him. And upfront cost, he wrote the man a check for $200,000 so he could go buy his materials and get ready and start the job and then in the process build the house. So the builder does exactly that. He goes and he gets started on the house and all of a sudden the thought crosses his mind. You know, if I cut some corners, I'll be able to increase my profit on this house. And so in the process of building the house, he figured out ways that he could cut corners and do things cheaply and do things not quite right. Little, you know, fudging here and there. And he figured he could make himself an extra $40,000 out of the construction of that house. So he finished the house, built the house. 
And uh, so on the surface, this house looked perfect, immaculate, okay? But the construction guy, the builder, knew what he had done to cut corners. So the wealthy man shows up to take possession of his house that he has already paid for. And so he is looking over the house and, oh, he said, this is a fine house. This is a great house. He said, but come to think of it, I really don't need another house. Handed the man the keys and said, here, you just built yourself a house. And don't you know, that builder was like, man, I wish I had not cut corners. See, you never know what God might do in your situation. You might end up with something that you cut corners on. Hallelujah. Always give value for what is being paid for by the other person. See, integrity always goes above and beyond all that we do, especially where money is concerned. Folks, listen to me. As Christians, we're going to have to do stuff better than everybody else just to break even. You know, there's an old saying. I don't know if you've ever heard this saying before, but there are three types of people that you don't do business with. Painters, prostitutes, and preachers. Anybody ever heard that before? Okay. Why? Because all three have a reputation of not being good or integritous in what they do. And that's a shame. So as a preacher, I have to do everything a little better than everybody else just to break even and be considered equal. And that's, unfortunately, that's the way it is with Christians. So where money is concerned, we have to do things a little bit better uh, with a little more integrity just so we're viewed in the eyes of the world the same as everybody else, okay? Now, um, integrity, and this will do you good if you'll just listen to this and maybe I didn't include it in your notes, but if you want to write it down, integrity always goes for the betterment of the other person and not yourself. Integrity always goes for the betterment of the other person and not yourself. I promise you, particularly in your business dealings, okay, always look for a way for somebody else to win and not you, and here's what will happen. God will make sure you win. Okay? All right? Now, here's the next one. Number six, maintain moral purity. Maintain moral purity. Now, I want to just put a little addendum on this and say this, okay? All of us are a work in progress. None of us are perfect, but it's how we aim and purpose to live, all right? So, I, I want to make sure you understand that, okay? So, maintain moral purity. What does that mean? That means if you want to walk integrity, then you must walk in a high biblical standard where your sex life is concerned. Okay? All right. Now, as a pastor, particularly as a single pastor, I have to do this. 
So there are certain standards that I have said. I'll talk more about this. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. Uh, Paul writing to Timothy, he said this, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example. Now this part's true to everybody, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and purity. We need to live pure lives. What does that mean, Pastor? Well, that means you don't have sex outside of marriage. I told you it was going to get real plain, real blunt, okay? You don't have sex out, but Pastor, I already did. Okay, well, let's, let's get down here. Let's ask for forgiveness. God is a God of mercy, and He's a forgiving God, okay? But don't keep doing it. Was that too hard? <laughs> okay, we got to live pure lives, all right? So here's what you need to settle in your mind, particularly where marriage is concerned, okay? We have to maintain the integrity of our marriage even in a society that no longer does. You know, it grieves my heart to find out that the divorce rate in the body of Christ is the same as or more than the world. Now, I understand things happen. I get that, okay? And uh, again, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. But don't go into your marriage relationship with this kind of thinking. Well, if we get into this and it just doesn't work out, well then, you know, it's all right. We'll move on. No, you stay at it. You work at it. But, but a huge part of that is purity, Okay, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 22. Five little words in this Passion Translation of this verse, and it says this, avoid every appearance of evil. Okay, what does that mean? I'm going to be real practical. Okay, real practical. Y'all want practical? Okay, I'm, and I'm going to use me. I'm not going to talk about you. I'm going to use me as a single Pastor, I don't need to have a steady flow of women coming to my apartment. Even though there might not be anything happening, we're just watching TV. It's what do my neighbors think about that, that know I'm a pastor. I, I, years ago, I, I read a book, an excellent book, The Leadership Principles of Billy Graham, and, of course, Kathy, Miss Kathy up here used to work for Billy Graham for many years. I think she started when Billy was a baby. But um, I'm just teasing. No, she didn't. She worked for him for a long time, though. <laughs> okay. But in 1948, when they were first starting their ministry, Billy Graham, Cliff Barrows, Grady Wilson, and George Beverly Shea were conducting a crusade in Modesto, California. And they realized, okay, guys, this is early on in their ministry. We, okay, we're going to have to set some standards to order our ministry by. So they got together while that crusade was going on, and they wrote down what's called the Modesto Manifesto. Okay, kind of a catchy little name. But what they did is the four of those men came up with the standards that they were going to conduct ministry by and they did for the rest of their careers and lives, actually, in ministry. 
some of which, okay, now you've got to consider too that most of these men were traveling without their spouses. Like, for instance, Ruth Graham, Billy's wife, was here in North Carolina taking care of the children while Billy was out doing, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but Dr. Graham was out conducting these crusades and ministering to people. So there were standards that they set with the three G's. You know what the three G's are? The gold, the glory, and the girls. That's what every minister has to look out after. The gold, the glory, and the girls. So they set up financial standards, way things were going to be conducted in ministry where finances were concerned. They made some decisions about how they were going to handle um, the glory or, or press and media and uh, praise that would be heaped on them and so forth. And then the last one was the girls. And they made decisions. Billy Graham, starting in 1948, and I don't know when he stopped this. I guess at some point it wasn't necessary anymore. But um, if he was staying in a hotel room, somebody else, usually one or two other people, would accommodate him or go with him to accompany him, is what I'm trying to say, to his hotel room and would check the hotel room before he stayed in the room by himself. Because here's why. There's women that would sneak into the hotel rooms and wait for them to get back. And they wouldn't know that they were there until it was too late. And then there's the appearance of evil. Those are standards that we as believers need to operate by so that we avoid even the appearance of evil. Oh, pastor, that's just so extreme. I'd, I don't want to have to live my life that way. Well, then don't expect the benefits and to be able to live a life of excellence and integrity. Because there are going to have to be some decisions, some tough decisions that we make. I remember, I'll tell this story real quick. This was, uh, oh gosh, I, I was in Bible school. I had come home for Thanksgiving break or Christmas break. I think it was Christmas break. And I was over at some friends. We had some family friends. And uh, matter of fact, I know it was at Christmas. It was approaching New Year's. And so I got sent to go to the grocery store to buy sparkling grape juice. You know what that is, right? Looks like shampipple. Some of y'all don't know what that is. Okay, some older folks, we know, Ernestine, you know what shampipple is, don't you? If you know Fred Sanford, you know what shampipple is. Okay, but anyway, but you know, it looks like bottles of champagne. And I had six of those bottles. I had three in this hand and three in this hand. And I walked up to the cashier. Here I am a Bible school student with what looks like six champagne bottles. And I remember there was these two older women in front in the line in front of me. And I remember one of them turned around and looked at me and went, mm, 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 look at that. And I tried to say, it's not, it's not what you think. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. And it was purely innocent and all that. You know, we weren't going to toast and get drunk or anything like that. But I walked away from that situation knowing people are going to make assumptions even when they don't know what's happening. All right? Now, 
Let's go on quickly. Verse or Number seven, rather. Here's this. Stay out of areas. Write this down. Stay out of areas that you don't belong. Stay out of areas that you don't belong. The, the old timers, the country folks used to say it this way. Get somewhere and... Okay, you know what that means. This is grown folk conversation. Okay, all right. Stay out of areas you do not belong. I love what this verse in 1 Thessalonians 4.11 in the Message Bible says this. Stay calm and read those next three words with me and mind your own business. Four words. If believers could just learn that. Do your own job. You've heard all this from us before, but a reminder never hurts, okay? So don't try and insert yourself into situations where you do not belong, okay? Now, I'm going to make a couple of other statements, and I'm going to hopefully not rub anybody the wrong way. Let me read this verse to you from the New Living. Proverbs 18, verse 13 says this, spouting off, before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. Okay, now I'm going to say, I'm going to make this comment, and please hear my heart, okay? There have been people that have gotten mad at me and left our church because I did not make certain comments on social justice issues. Okay? From the pulpit. Now, here's why I choose not to do that. Here's the, here's the reason why, this verse right here. Because I don't know the facts. I might have heard just like you have heard what the media wants me to think about that situation, but I do not know the facts. And thank you very much. I do not want to make a fool out of myself. So I would rather keep my mouth shut and offend you than spout off on something that I don't know anything about. And there's a lot of people, particularly where social justice issues are concerned, that don't know the facts but yet formulate opinions. Now, there have been situations that I have been vocal on because it was very cut and dry, very obvious. When, when you see things happen and it's very obvious, okay, there's no denying that. But when there's been other situations where it wasn't so cut and dry, for instance, in a situation where there were only two people involved, there was no cameras, there was no video, there's nothing else, and all you're going by is the testimony of one person because the other person's now dead, okay? But the media wants you to perceive something else, so they present it to you from a certain light. And, and let, what, please understand this, y'all. A lot of times that happens because the media likes to stir stuff up. And so for me to jump on a bandwagon out of assumption is wrong because I don't know the facts. And truth be told, you don't either. Is that too plain for you? Okay. So if it's cut and dry, and I have, 
where it has been very obvious, I mean, no denying that wrong was wrong, okay? But I don't operate on supposition or assumption, and neither should you, okay? Uh, let me show you another scripture. I can tell you're just so excited about this. Proverbs 26, verse 17 in the Amplified said this, and, and I love Proverbs, it's so real. It says this, he who passing by stops to meddle with strife that is none of his business is like one who takes a dog by the ears. Now I want you to think about something and just imagine with me the meanest dog that you know or have ever been around. You know, whatever breed, it doesn't matter. And how aggravated do you think that dog gets if you were to just grab that dog by the two ears and hold on and yank as hard as you could? That dog's going to bite, and that dog's going to respond. Solomon said this, He who passing by stops to meddle with strife that is none of his business is exactly that. Can I say this to you? If you're going to meddle in strife that is not your own, you're going to get bitten. Am I helping anybody? All right. We're being very, very practical today. All right, now, let's move on quick because i got to wind this down. All right, number eight is really not a how-to, but it's more of a benefit of. But here we go. The world cannot slam the door on a child of God who walks in integrity. I'm going to prove it to you. The world cannot slam the door on the child of God who chooses to live a life of integrity. It might be hard. It might be tough. Listen, I didn't like it when those people had those conversations with me and say, Pastor, because you didn't address this situation right here, we're out. I didn't like it. Okay? It was not fun. It was not comfortable. All right? But what I had to remember was hold on to your integrity because in the long run, that will pay off. Okay? So what are the benefits of living a life of integrity. Proverbs 25, verse 21, uh, or excuse me, Psalms 25, verse 21, David said this, let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. A heart of integrity will cause you to be preserved. Everybody else will start falling away, but there you'll be right there, plugging along, doing, doing what God's called you to do. Psalm 26, verse 1, David wrote this, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. What does that mean? That means when you live the life of integrity, I don't care who or how many accusers stand up and say they are doing wrong, God will vindicate you. It might not be this afternoon. It might not be tomorrow. But sooner or later, vindication will come and those people, and I've had it happen, those people will have to come to you and ask for your forgiveness. Okay? Why? Because you walked in your integrity and you trusted God. Listen, there are going to be times when you're not going to be able to respond when people accuse you. Just keep your mouth shut. Let the truth speak for itself. Okay? Praise God. Say that. Say, praise the Lord. All right, now let's wrap this up by looking at what happened for Daniel. All right, let me give you 
a history lesson in two sentences, and that is this. Daniel was in his position in the government through many kingdoms. He started out with Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian kingdom. Then he, the, the Medes overcame the Babylonians, and he worked for Darius, who was a Medo-Persian king. And then the Persians eventually conquered them, and he worked for Cyrus. Okay? So many chains or many turns of leadership that Daniel worked through so look at this in Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed. Now we're looking at what happens when you live a life of integrity and a spirit of excellence. He appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interest. In other words, because of Daniel's excellent spirit and his integrity, he was promoted to rule over all the other governors that were over these particular 120 provinces. But here's what I want you to see. Verse 3, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers because of Daniel's great ability the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. So we see this promotion happening. You remember I told you promotion always follows an excellent spirit, a spirit of humility, and promotion will always follow a person of integrity. Now here's why I know this. Look down at verse 4. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling the government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. I want that to be my testimony. That when it's all said and done, people will look at my life, look at our, leaders, our, our leadership, our church, and be able to say they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn that we were always faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Now, do I, does that mean you don't make any mistakes? No. It means you own up to them when you do. Okay? Look at, uh, drop down, same chapter. And this, we'll wrap it up with this, verses 25 through 28. Then Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. I think that pretty much sums it up. Can I say to you that King Darius sent this message to everybody? Every one of them, okay? Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Why? Because he was a person with an excellent spirit who walked and lived in integrity. Here's the bottom line, guys, of why we do this, because we are God's representatives. 
You might be the only Jesus that somebody sees. And when it's all said and done, if that's the case, I want them to be able to say there's nobody like his God. There's nobody like your God. Just like they did Daniel. And then be able to say, hey, listen, I've seen him. He rescues, he saves, he performs miracles, he does wonders in the heavens and the earth. All because of the example and the life that one man lived, Daniel, who had a spirit of excellence. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church Podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.